Welcome to Beyond Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Petrellis, and we are super excited for today's guest. Uh, before we get to today's guest, I just want to give a shout out to Coach Matt Galusi of the Melrose Girls Lacrosse team. Uh, gave me some team swag, nice little hoodie I have on here, and a nice t-shirt. So, uh, great coach, great guy, runs a solid program, has been league champs in the Middlesex year one when he came in, and uh, you know we were really lucky to have him on the show. So, thanks, Coach. I appreciate you uh, sending over some team gear. Uh, coach, we have on today. I- I'm really excited. You know, we're really trying to expand our audience outside of the Massachusetts, New England area. And I'm doing my homework. I found a tremendous football coach, a tremendous, you know, done it at all levels, high school level, college level, junior college level, and it's just had success. Is it a tremendous offensive mind? Uh, somebody who in division two in this college years has ranked in, you know, the top three, top two, even the top and when it comes to rushing attacks uh, in football and just really honored to have him on here today to pick his brain. Um, actually, just as of last week, just, you know, it took a new gig is the current uh, athletic coordinator and head coach of Brownsville Veteran Memorial High School. Uh, before that was the head uh, football coach at Eastern New Mexico University. Also served as the team's coordinator there before becoming the head coach from 2012 to 2016. And has been to a few different places that we'll talk about today. But wherever coach has been, he's got the Midas touch when it comes to offense. He just knows how to pound the rock and, 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 and you know, really eat up a lot of clock. So we're going to talk a lot about uh, coach today. We are super excited. I'm super honored. Again, from Brownville Veteran Memorial High School, uh, Coach Kelly Lee. Thank you, Anthony. Excited to be on. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're going to jump right into it. When I did some homework on you, the real cool stuff that stood out at the beginning, and this is my favorite (laughs) stuff, is you come from a football family. Uh, your dad was, is a well-known coach in, in the area that you live, the New Mexico area, is in two different Hall of Fames. Um, so t- I love asking this question because I think this is great. Talk about growing up in a home that you have dad, the man that you're looking up to, and then you have dad, um, the football coach, who you see this leader amongst young men and, and running a football program, and how cool that is to, to be a part of all that. Well, it was fun. You know, you got to go as a kid to, to be on the sideline and, and play with the dummies and watch practice and just hang out in the locker room. And uh, I grew up in a small town. So those are really your heroes, those high school players. And then you, you look up to them and, and then to see that interaction they had with my father and as they came went away and they came back, whether it was military or college or became fathers, those interactions, you know, that was something that, that uh, resonated with me. And I think I knew at an early age that I wanted to be a coach. Yeah, it's awesome. I, I think it's just cool, you know, because for myself, I know looking up to the coaches that I coach with for such a long time, but that person being dad, I mean, that's just, it's cool all around. You get to see two different men and, and, and how they lead the family and how they lead the football team. Uh, and you're also a pretty good athlete yourself doing a little bit of homework on you. I know when we talked in our pre-phone, you were laughing a little bit about playing quarterback, but you were a, a, a college quarterback at uh, Western New Mexico. Is that correct? Western yeah, New Mexico. That's correct. You are uh, a real good high school athlete as well. You were part of four state championship teams. So uh, obviously that speaks. So when did you know, I mean, when you were in high school, did you know, I mean, you played a lot of different sports. Did you know that football and being the coaching world was something that you wanted to be a part of well after college and into your life? Yeah, I think it was during those high school years that I realized that, uh, you know, I I didn't want to leave the athletic realm. I knew I wasn't going to be a good enough player to play forever. You know, fortunately, I was good enough to play a little college ball, but I I didn't have delusions of playing professional. So I kind of started thinking about coaching then and started watching, you know, good coaches along the way and studying schemes and kind of what I wanted to do. And and so, yeah, I think I think those experiences helped build me and, and what I sought out as far as leaders and, and mentors. Now you run, you run an offense that is at least in, in this area uh, is, is rare, you know, option. And when I was in high school option, everybody ran option. Now you're kind of seeing more of that spread and you've had tremendous success. Uh, you run the triple ground option game. Talk a little bit about your offense for our audience out there of exactly, you know, w- what your style is, what you like to do. And just talk a little bit about, you know, the key principles of your offense that you have. Sure. I think a lot of times they'll say we run the triple option and, and we do, but that's a play. You know what I mean? So, and then it's kind of like the spread. The spread's not an offense. It's a formation. And then there's different kinds of spread attacks. So we're, we're basically a flex bone 
team if you had to paint us in a quarter we uh corner we throw the ball a little bit more than a lot of flex bone teams and we'll get in the gun and run stuff but very option oriented whether it's a triple or double option attack those are different types of options are built into our scheme and and we just want to attack the defense we want to make them defend all the players all the skill guys and get them into base defenses and try to give our guys the best chance to be successful and we feel like by making a defense have to play the option have to play the responsibilities it gives us a chance to be successful yeah so when you do when you have that type of offense as far as recruiting goes um are you when you systematically recruit are you looking for i mean is is that type of offense big in new mexico or is that like again kind of what i'm saying a little bit more rare than what i see in this area i think it's an outlayer in a lot of places you have some clusters like in georgia or places where you know georgia southern georgia tech colleges had a lot of success south carolina's got some option colleges citadel and wofford and, and kennesaw state over in georgia so you have little clusters of area of the country that run a lot of option football but i think a lot of places the flex bone and option attacks are a little bit of outliers so um we're kind of a close-knit family uh, us option guys so uh, when i was recruiting we always had an option list the coaches ran the option and we were looking for kids on the offensive side of the ball you know that it's kind of like having a feeder system in high school. You want your middle school running your system. So if you could get guys that had played in that system, that helped. Now we, we had some great success recruiting spread quarterbacks and players from the spread and converting them into our style. But um, it helps, you know, if you can find those. And then of course we always, everywhere I was at, we were re recruited locally um, because a lot of times those, that's the cornerstone of your, your program to get those local players. Yeah, and I think that's interesting going back to what you said about the quarterback. I mean, having a spread quarterback that's mobile in that type of system is probably ideal because when you run those play actions, it's nice to know that you have a quarterback that can drop it in there or make that quick read and has, you know, some familiarity to it. Obviously, everyone's systems are a little bit different, but, you know, that was, we'll talk a little bit later, but the efficiency of your pass game in this type of offense, too, was something that was extremely impressive. Um, so, again, when you, when you uh, went from place to place, and we're going to talk about some of the places you went, the one thing that I noticed a lot, and, and this is probably true of, of, of any offense, but specifically with this, is you seem to coach the quarterbacks and the fullbacks mm -hmm. a lot. Um, and to me, that kind of stood out at every place that you went. I mean, systematically, obviously, there's that, there's that, you know, that fake that happens right away or that give that happens right away. I mean, talk about as an offensive coordinator in, in that mind of being really involved in that part of the offense or those specific positions. Yeah, I think a lot of times that's not unusual with the quarterback spot. Um, and our offense is more particular. Um, our guys are going to be more hands-on with the game plan than probably any offense you see. You know, I, I, I've always said that our quarterbacks look more like Peyton Manning you know, than, than the quarterbacks we play with because we're going to give them check with me's whether it's running the direction of the play or running a certain scheme to a technique, um, they're going to be involved. So you need to be involved. They basically become another assistant coach and you're coaching them and they're handling the ball every play. And they're really the point guard of the offense distributing it. But the uniqueness is that you're coaching that B back or that fullback with them. And the reason is because those two are married so much together with the meshes, whether it's your midline or your, your inside beer or, or whatever your mesh you're going to have. Even when you get in the gun, they're usually that fullback's going to be your dive uh, phase on the inside zone read. So um, those guys have to marriage together. They have to understand what we're trying to get out of the offense. So you need them both on the same page and, and they've got to be able to work well together and, and just practice time at work. So there's times we'll send the fullbacks or backs off with the running back coach and so get some just quarterback time or they're going to go with the receivers. But a lot of the time is spent and your indie time is spent with those guys working together. So it always worked well. Yeah, I just feel like those ball fakes are just so important in that type yeah. of offense. Again, because if guys are keying you, you know, you're going to make teams stay loyal to what they got to key, you know, and let your athletes, Absolutely. especially your back in space, gets that little pitch and gets the corner and it's, a, you know, it's a race. Um, again, talking a little bit about the quarterback position, how do you go about recruiting a quarterback out of high school? I mean, what are some of the things that maybe you look for, especially when you've had so much success on offense? I mean, is there like a type of quarterback, not necessarily size or arm strength or anything like that, but um, how do you go about maybe assessing that a quarterback's the right fit for your system? Well, it kind of evolved through the years. Um, when I was early as a college coach running this system, we were getting really great athletes. And a lot of times we could get a kid 
that maybe had a Division One scholarship offers to play wide receiver or DB, but they weren't going to let him play quarterback, so we could offer him that opportunity. Um, but now the spread game is involved so much. A lot of quarterbacks, a lot of teams are playing with an athletic quarterback. So um, sometimes we those guys would go ahead and take those Division One opportunities. I was mostly a Division Two coach, so um, we ended up playing a lot of times with more of a pro style kid, you know. And we sometimes our guys could throw the ball a lot better than the guys in the spread. Um, because they're looking for a really great athlete to run their offense. And, and so we ended up with guys that could really throw it. But um, I think the key in this offense is that per, that guy's got to be really unselfish because he's got to distribute the ball where the defense is allowing you. And if he becomes selfish, then, then it doesn't work. So he's got to be unselfish. He's got to be physically tough because he's going to have to run the ball and take hits. You know, some guys, they're really worried about their quarterback taking five, six hits. Our quarterbacks are going to run the ball 15, 20 times a game and take it. So they got to be tough and they got to be mentally tough because they've got to make decisions under duress throughout the game. They're not very many times they get to just hand the ball off to someone and watch most of the time there it's their Reed's going to determine where the, the ball goes, whether it's in the pass game or in our run game. So um, you need someone who's got poise, can be mentally tough under duress. So I think those are really the characteristics that above all leadership and physical and mental toughness. And, and then we, we like our guys to be able to throw the ball. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's a great element to have, especially when teams start loading the box against you. I mean, you have to, you keep them honest when you have a quarterback that can sling the ball down the field. Um, Absolutely. So, you know, talking about, again, we taught you and you had mentioned it, the quarterback, I mean, essentially is the point guard of your system. So, you know, I know you, you, you started early off in your coaching career at Eastern New Mexico. Um, and then you kind of jumped in as an OC at, um, the New Mexico Military Institute. And just statistically starting there, I mean, that's when I kind of started digging into your numbers a little bit as an OC or just an offensive mind in general. And in 2006 and 2007, the two years you were there, you were the offensive coordinator and recruiting coordinator, and you finished second in the nation in rushing both years. Right. I mean, talk about as a young coordinator, I mean, gaining that confidence of coming in, systematically running your system, and being top two in rushing the two years you're there. As a young play caller or as a newer play caller I mean talk about the confidence level that maybe gave you early on with you know the evolution of your offense a little bit well, it was a fun time. We had a great staff. I worked for a guy by the name of Jeff Lynn, and then his brother, Josh Lynn, was our defensive coordinator, and then we had a guy by the name of Joe Fortner, and we were all young guys, and I went on to be the head coach at Eastern, and Josh Lynn was there for a while, and I went with him, and he's the head coach at Nebraska Kearney, and Joe Fortner is now the coach at New uh, New Mexico military and coach Lynn uh, moved into the high school ranks and has a lot of success. He's won a couple state championships there in Roswell to high school. So we were all really young and we had a great staff and we worked really hard and we, we were kind of old school in what we did. And I think that that gave us, uh, we were young guys coaching it with a lot of passion, but doing old school philosophy. And I think the kids bought into it. And it, it was one of those situations where we had some talented kids, but you know, with the military component and that there was, it was tough to get kids to go there, you know, because it was a, it, it was a tougher situation. So we needed to do something a little different and, and we did, and, and it was a great experience. And we, yeah, we had a lot of success. We were on the ball. I think one year we were fifth in the nation in total offense, you know, so it wasn't just that we were running, we were really moving the ball well. Uh, and, and the triple option could work really well at the junior college level because you don't have as much time to practice and see it. And a lot of, there's not as much discipline maybe. And a lot of guys on the defensive side are trying to get sacks and big plays because they want to highlight tape to advance to get to the next level. Well, that kind of play, individual type play, does not fare well against the option. So we would go against teams that have 10, 12 Division One recruits on their defense, and they would just struggle to stop us because they were all they weren't playing team defense. And so the 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 option or the flex bone was a great uh, uh, scheme at the junior college level. Yeah, and like you said, I mean, a lot of times you're not blocking guys on purpose and you're optioning off of them. Like, mm -hmm. and, I, and I know my years of coaching high school football, there's been plenty of D linemen that were like, man, we're going to have trouble blocking this kid. Let's just option off of him. You yeah, know, you him. Yeah. it takes their best player out of the game because they're going nuts, you know, because they're just standing still a lot or stutter stepping a lot right. and they're not, you, not usually what they're used to. So um, I always find that interesting that I can sometimes slow your best player down by not even having to touch them. I mean, it's kind yeah, of crazy. It's, it's 
it's it's it. nice to have that in your back pocket because there's yeah. some guys that are awfully tough to block, you know. Yeah, yeah. So it's nice to have that luxury for sure. Um, and then you know, again, when you were there, also you 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 also were um, then sorry, then you went on to uh, be the offensive coordinator and the assistant head coach at Midland in 2008. And then in there again, um, you you ranked uh, what is it number one in red zone efficiency which is to me unbelievable. So I kind of dug into your offensive numbers here a little bit and didn't mm-hmm. just look for the statistical rushing yards or how many total yards you have in a game. I started looking at some of the categories that I feel like are money categories here, categories that when teams are really good at the, in these categories offensively, they're hard to stop. So number one in red zone efficiency, which I'll ask you about in a second, but you were also top 10 in rushing offense and fourth down conversions. And we're going to touch base on your fourth down conversions later on in this podcast, but I mean, red zone efficiency, talk about as an offensive staff, how it must have felt to, to hear that statistic and know that statistic that when you get into that zone of, you know, when defense is kind of toughen up and offenses need to toughen up and tighten up a little bit more, that your efficiency rate of scoring touchdowns and scoring points was number one that year um, yeah. in the league. Yeah, it's one of the great things about the, the offense, sometimes spread teams or whatever you the you get in the in the red zone and the defense gets an extra defender with that back goal line because it shortens the field with us you know we in our offense really account for everyone anyway so we feel like we can get a body on everyone so when they load up to the box it's not it doesn't really scare us because we're going to block them anyway or a lot of attacks when they load the box those guys are now in blocks we've got a body on everyone uh i think a lot of it comes to we practice that scenario every week we practice the and we call it the green zone it's a mentality because for our defense it's a red zone for offense it's green zone because it's time to go and we really think i mean our mindset there is touchdown so we're not we're not going to get greedy we're looking to get two and a half a play if we have to go for it on fourth down, we're fine doing it in there. And uh, it's kind of a mentality there with the fourth down conversions and the red zone. And I think, you know, one of the things I hate is when people kick field goals inside the, the three yard line or something, because my thought is even if you don't make it, you got to trust your defense that they're, they're going to hold them and you're going to get the ball right back in the 50 and then you're going to be back in field goal range anyway. So you might as well go for the touchdown and try to get the seven. So we really want to maximize our opportunities. We're in the green zone to get seven points on the board. So that's our mentality. And we're, we're not going to rush things. We're going to just, you know, do what we do, run our base plays. We feel like we can execute, get two and a half, three yards if we have to. And a lot of times it doesn't, you know, and the other thing that's helped us is being a no huddle offense. A lot of times, we we get to the red zone it's been a drive and the defense is tired so that's the one time when we will up tempo now because we don't one we don't want to let them we won't change personnel so they can't sub two they're tired you know so let's let's keep them tired so we'll actually speed up our offense or our tempo as we get into the green zone to try to make it a little bit easier to punch it in I mean, that's amazing. The fact that you guys are no huddle out of that too, that must be a defensive coordinator's nightmare because like you say, rotating guys in and out is, is you can't do it. And when you're running and just pounding and you might have, you know, you say you're going for it on fourth down. So you might have 15, 16, 17 play drives that guys can't really come off the field. I mean, that, that gas is a defense up for sure. Um, so again, Oh, sorry, coach. Go ahead. I think you want to say, Oh, something. we had one in a big game this year. We had a 98 yard drive where we converted three fourth downs and it ate up 14 minutes. It was only, a, it was a 23 play. I think it was one play away from try, tying the, the all football record. And, and we, in that game, we upset a team that was nationally ranked going to the playoffs. So, you know, you know, being able to do those things and convert and wear a defense out and then get the touchdown in the red zone. Those, those are all things that, like you say, big stats that usually equal W's. Yeah. Um, Talk about talk about that a little bit, right? I mean, in those situations when you have a twenty-three play drive, I mean, are you a type of offense that just lives off of like three yards, four yards, two yards, three yards, four? Like, is that yeah. and you just look at it? Is that's our mentality? You know, we're going to make it third and manageable, and even fourth and manageable if we get to that situation. Yeah, not necessarily. We're uh, we have a lot of big plays. Um, I think the option creates that because you can block everyone. So if you get everyone blocked, you get the ball to one of your guys in space, and then we feel like the passing game is an important part of it, and not just an ad lib. We really believe it's part of the offense. So a lot of our long plays or long pass plays but you do have that ability if your defense is struggling you know what I mean to get stops or maybe the team is you feel like more talented and and you don't want to get into a shootout 
or you have a lead, we have the ball ability to go on those long drives and kind of switch gears where maybe we emphasize the fullback in that short run game. And we, we tell our guys, we're going to buckle down, you know, and, and, and go for those mentalities and try to get in that fourth down and go for it. So I think it's a lot of flexibility where you can come out in this offense and be very aggressive um, with your play calls, or you can, you have that ability to really, if you got a lead on someone, you can grind it down, fewer the possessions, take their out of the ball. You know what I mean? Or maybe, there's seven minutes left the game and you want to eat up all seven minutes and score and not score in three minutes and give it back to them and have to defend three minutes. Maybe you score and there's 30 seconds left or a minute. So I think those tempos and, and being able to dictate the tempo of the game is really important. And, and we have the ability to do that. Yeah. And that's what, I mean, just being a defensive coordinator myself, when we saw those double tight, double wing offenses or wing T offenses. And, you know, like I say, they kind of live by those short yardages, but maybe where they lacked on the other side of the ball, they had the ability to eat up clock and maybe keep a more athletic offense off the field. And, you know, a couple of schools in general, one Austin prep that we used to play against that. I mean, that's what they lived on. They lived on short yardage, then hit you with the big player, have a couple vertical plays down the field. Yeah. But like you said, long drives, eat up clock and keep some of those maybe faster more athletic offenses off the field and that's how sometimes you your best defense is keeping your offense on the field as long as you possibly can yeah um, if you're playing a high-powered offense and you can limit them to 50 50 snaps instead of 80 or 90 your defense is going to be fresh and going to play better and it's that many less times that you worry about an explosive play happening you know and and that's what those teams live off of so you know it's it's a game to game week to week kind of mentality and then it changes within the game with ebbs and flows but it's nice to be able to change those gears and have those different tempos and different mentalities Absolutely. So you had a lot of success coach in the college game for a bit as an OC. Um, but then um, you, you kind of went into the high school world. Uh, you took over mm -hmm. program and Val, and if I pronounce this wrong, please, uh, Val, Valencia high school, Valencia, Valencia yeah. high school. Valencia high school. Um, and you took over a program that was one in nine. And within three years, you turned the program around a 26 and nine mark. You made, um, you made, you won Metro coach of the year in, in 2011. And in that year you had 11 and one record. So you took over a program that was, you know, struggling. Um, talk about, I mean, I know so many coaches in the college world that are like coach, I can never coach high school. Talk about that gear of jumping backwards a little bit into like the mentality of now dealing with 14 to 17 year olds as opposed to maybe dealing with not, you know, 18 to 21, 20, and not that they've grown up so much in that four mm -hmm. year span, but it is a different, different type of mentality for sure. Yeah. I think on the field, it, there's not as much differences as when you would think on the field um, where there's a big difference is in off season and, and those things, you know, your college kids, um, you know, they're not, they're usually pretty motivated, self-motivated and they want to get better. And there's a ton of competition, you know, sometimes in high school, your, your good kids are going to play and, and they know they're going to play because they're just better than the other kids where in college, everybody's good. So um, there's some things that happen in college game with motivation and things and, and work ethic that, that, that as a coach, you, you, you don't have to maybe motivate or, or explain or teach why these are so hard. Um, you know, so sometimes at the high school game, you have to do a little bit more of that. But I think in the end, it all comes down to getting the kids to buy in and get them holding them accountable and getting them to have ownership in the program. And once it becomes their program, then they're going to do those things, you know, and, and you, and that starts with your leaders and your good kids, but it's definitely a little different. We, we ran basically the same scheme. We didn't necessarily run all of it in the high school level. Um, we would try to kind of pick, what tailored to us year by year the most and emphasize that part of it. Maybe the other part of it wasn't in that year, you know, or, and then it would come back the next year, but it was really all the same plays, just kind of a little bit of a dialed down version of it. And then of course we weren't a huge school. We had about 13, 1400 students. So we had some kids play both ways. So you, then, then you have to work with that. And how are you going to get them reps off and it's defense. And, and a lot of times we were splitting our practice and then sometimes, you know, we would still a little more offense defense time with the guys that didn't play a lot of, but, um, I mean, you know, there, there's those different things that are inherently unique between the college and the high school game. And then as far as staff goes in that situation now, did you have some college guys that were with you come with you or is this kind of a whole new staff for you? How do you, uh, how do you at work that, that point, at that point there, that was, uh, it was a whole new staff. Uh, I, I, I basically inherited a staff and was able to bring, I think two guys in, but they were high school guys. Um, so, you know, here um, we're in that process here at veterans and, and when we've got some great guys on staff, we're going to retain and, and we're going to be able to bring some guys in, I think for some, 
some guys with some high school and some college experience. So it'll be a little different here than it was there. But there at that at that stop, it was basically taking over new staff, te- uh, teaching them what we did, getting them to buy in and, and, and moving forward from there. And, and what do you look for in coaches? I mean, when you're looking, especially in either high school, or college level, it doesn't matter. I mean, what are kind of the big things that you look for in a coach that are just really important at baseline? Yeah, I think you want to have guys that have similar philosophies if you can. But the most important thing is guys that are that have great character, impeccable integrity, and they, they, they're going to build relationships with the kids. Because if they're going to build relationships with the kids, the kids will do what they want. And then you as a head coach or coordinator can teach them what you want to teach. You can teach them the scheme because they're going to be willing to learn. And, and if I always say, if you can coach, you can coach anything because you're going to relate to kids. You're going to be detail oriented. You're going to know how to set up drills and then we'll, we'll teach the schemes and get going. So above knowing specific schemes or being an expert in one area or the other men of integrity and guys that are going to build relationships. And then always you want, you want to get, if you're hiring young guys, you want to get young guys that want to be head coaches because they're, they're always going to, you know, they want to advance to be a coordinator, then a head coach, because they're always going to be looking to learn and sponges. And, and so I always like those guys that want to be head coaches down the road. Yeah, and it's so important because you mentioned character. I mean, being around young adolescents, whether it's teenagers or, you know, guys in their young 20s that, you know, you want role models there too. At the end of the day, football is football and anybody can coach a school if they really understand it and you can get guys to learn schematically, you know, drill-wise or scheme-wise what it is that you want to do and men of integrity will teach that. So I always find that really important even at the college level of how coaches look at that and value that. And what I find, it's really the same across the board. I mean, what high school coaches are looking for in their program, college coaches looking for the yeah. same exact thing yeah it's true um so again just kind of talking about your success offensively and now at high school i mean talk about the culture you have on offense right and what i mean by that is talk about you know i mean obviously running the option it's it's a physical type of offense and you have a lot of success and get a lot of buy-in from your players and you successfully do it and that's a credit to you as a coach but maybe just talk about the, the culture around your offense or just the culture around your program in general sure. of, of what it's like yeah, I think you're always trying to build your culture. You got to coach your culture every day and you do a lot of that in the off season and, and you're just constantly mentoring and you're praising the things that you want and, and then you're disciplining the others. And ultimately you, the, the highest form is when your discipline is when you don't have to discipline, you know, when you, when you're, you, you might have to yell or punish along the way, but when you don't have to, that's when you have true discipline because the kids are being disciplined. So all those things go into it. Um, you know, and you do that without them pro throughout the program, uh, every day. I think, I think the offense lends to that because it's a very unselfish offense. We're not creating plays to get this person the ball. We're going out and running a system and, and just seeing where it goes and then distributing it. And everybody in the system has to block. Um, you know, even the quarterback's got to carry out fakes consistently. That's his blocking assignment. So everybody's blocking for each other. Um, you know, one game, the fullback might get a ton of carries and the next game it might be the slots or the quarterback, or we might one game only throw 10 passes. Next time we throw 25, you know, and it, it really is based on what the defense is doing because it's a system and we're going to attack how they're trying to defend us. Um, so it, it breeds unselfishness. And it breeds discipline because you're not going to be good in the system if you're not disciplined because it's really more about us than our opponent. So I think that helps those things and getting that buy-in and building that culture when you run a system like that. And, and, and then, you know, you ultimately you go against your defense. And so when we scrimmage, our defense gets to tackle a lot because there's not very many balls thrown out on the ground where we just go back quarterback throws it balls on the ground. We run a play, someone's going to the ground. You know what I mean? So we, we usually become really good tacklers and we usually get really physical because we're, we're in the box. So it breeds that toughness that you want to see in a football team. Do you feel like that carries over to your defense as well? You know, those type of practices, like where they're defending what, you know, what you guys do on a daily basis. Do you feel like that makes your defense a lot tougher too? Yeah, it definitely makes them tougher and it makes them very good against the run. You generally, after they defend us consistently, most other running games are uh, at least from a, conceptual point with the players much easier to defend they don't have to worry about as much we usually generally be are very tough at stopping the run um but but there's a little trade-off because they don't get to see what i would say conventional offense a lot or spread or people in space so sometimes it takes us a few games to really get 
um, up to, I would say, game speed at defending that stuff. So that's a little bit of the trick is how you service each other and make sure you're giving your defense some spread looks. And so, we're, you know, even, even when you're not playing kids both ways and you're separate, we would service our defense and run some skelly for them and run other people's stuff or run some plays, you know, 10 minutes of just running eye formation or spread RPOs was the big one for a while, you know, everyone. So we, we give them so that they get to see some of those with our best players running them and not just the scout team, you know, so they can get help them adjust to that game speed faster. Yeah. And that's it. Like when I was a coordinator, we used to play this team, St. Mary's, and they were the fastest team I've ever seen. Every year they just had like three burners at back. They ran a lot of jet sweeps. They ran a lot of toss and, and, and they were fast. And I used to always say as a coordinator, we're going to struggle on the first drive. And I know my head coach never wanted to hear that. I was like, we can't simulate their speed and practice. Yeah. Like we can know formation, what they're in and what they're doing, but playing at that speed and seeing that speed, that first drive is going to be like a shock and awe to our defense. And then they're going to realize how much faster they have to play. So to hear you say that and translate it at the college level too, like I always felt like when we play those team types of teams, we were just so much tougher defensively because it requires you to be physical all week at practice versus yeah. spread. You're not as physical at times. Right, right, right. I, um, I and, and so after that, um, I know that you jumped from that job. You went back to Eastern New Mexico where it kind of all began for you in your coaching career a little mm -hmm. bit. Now, is that something that a job opens up? You apply for it with did Eastern New Mexico, maybe approach you at all. I mean, how does, how did that kind of work out for you? Yeah. Uh, a guy that I was a graduate assistant with Josh Lynn and then coached, at NIMI with his brother and coached with them on the same staff. He had, he had just had a really good year at New Mexico military. He'd become the head coach and, and he was an alum of the school and he got the job. And I was, I was head coach, high school coach. And he called me and they, they, we had been successful running the option when we had been there before. And then they'd gone air raid. We had seven straight winning season. They went air raid and that had had at the time seven straight losing seasons. So, you know, he really wanted to go back to what had worked, you know, and we knew running option football, being aggressive on defense, recruiting the local New Mexico and West Texas kids, which was really the area that we had recruited before. So he asked me to come on and, and, and I jumped at it, you know, and the opportunity and we, we, uh, we turned over uh, the system. I think we went three and seven our first year, but the second year we went eight and three and won the Lone Star Conference. And they hadn't done that at that time since 92. And that was, uh, 12. So it had been 20 years, you know, yeah. and, and, and we'd have winning season every year since then, both as my time as a coordinator or as a head coach. So, um, you know, it, it, it was a great experience as a coordinator and then a, a tremendous opportunity when I moved up to be the head, head position. Yeah. So here, just a couple of things. And you actually hit upon one of them winning the Lone Star Conference. Here are a couple of things that I was able to pull up as your time as a coordinator, your four year stint as an offensive coordinator and bringing that kind of team, but also that offense to new levels and new highs and new records and things like that. Uh, in 2013, you had set the new uh, points scored in a 10 game season for the school. Uh, 2013, it was like you said, your first Lone Star Conference title. Uh, 2015, you achieved the number one rated offense in the conference with 345 yards per game. And then looking at the major categories, you finished top 17 in division two out of 10 out of those 12 categories. So, you know, those higher up, you know, important yeah. statistical spots. Um, I mean, talk about that offense, because the, to me, it wasn't just about the Lone Star Conference. I mean, it was all about division two. Yeah, there was a there was a year in there where I think through the eight games we led the nation in rushing offense, total offense, and scoring offense from week one to week eight. And then we got like six starters on offense hurt in one game, and we still finished really high. But um, that was kind of the peak of our success. I think we had a three-year starting quarterback. We had a tremendous fullback. We had talented slots and talented wide receivers, and our offensive line was really aggressive. And it it was just a, a lot of young kids had played, and they had a ton of experience, and we had buy-in. Our kids felt like we could move the ball on anybody and and it was just it was one of those great couple years there where where everything came together and our kids really they worked hard in the off season they worked hard at practice they studied film and we had great leadership on the offensive side of the ball um we had great leadership on the whole team but our quarterback was a great leader we had we had we had a good leader in every position group whether it was our running backs our linemen our receivers driving it and, and like i said when it's player driven and they have that ownership that's when those special things happen i think that's really what we had during that time and 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 throughout throughout the years we've had some great offenses there but that was that was really special few years there yeah and then just to kind of finish off the second part of your i guess the second half of your tenure as a coordinator in 2016 you guys finished second ncaa division two in rushing offense and 11th in passing efficiency 
balance. I mean, that reads balance all over it. 2016, talk about how important it is offensively to be a balanced offense to be good. I mean, to really be good. And we look at balance, obviously different. Some people say you throw it 50% of the time, you run it 50% of the time. You know what I mean? What we want to do is be able to throw in our terms and be successful when we do it. We want to break in the top 10 and pass efficient. We want to be extremely efficient. We want to have a lot of yards per attempt and per completion. And and the way we look at it, we don't want to throw on the other team's terms. We look at how the defense is defending our base stuff and how we can attack it through the passing game and then take our shots on first down, on second and short, you know, when when the ball is in our court. And I think that helps us be really successful. We'll throw the ball. You know what I mean? We're not afraid to throw the ball. And uh, we, like I tell people, we when we throw it, we mean it. We don't throw for a lot of first downs. We throw for a lot of touchdowns, you know. So yeah. we feel like that's the best part of our offense. We get one-on-one. We get safeties running the box. Let's throw the ball over their head. And we really feel like it's a part of the offense. It's not a run game or a passing game. It's an offense, and that's part of it, and that's the most explosive part we have. It's awesome. Yeah, and like you said, it just prevents teams from loading the box on you. At the end of the day, safeties can't play at lower depths down in the, you know, towards linebacker depth because, like you said, you're not throwing for first downs, you're throwing for touchdowns. If you see yeah. that, I'm sure you're taking your shot. Um, and then, obviously, let's just talk about the transition to head coach. What is the biggest thing you learned from becoming the OC? Because I went through this as a defensive coordinator and then becoming the head coach of where I was a defensive coordinator for a long time. I mean, what was the biggest shock and and awe to you of becoming the head coach? You seem like you're a pretty prepared guy. You obviously were a head coach at high school. You had a stint there. At the college level, what was kind of the biggest shock for you? I think I was fortunate because, you know, growing up in a coaching family, I'd seen a well-round. I'd been a high school head coach, and the previous coach had let me privy to a lot of things, you know, of our, as far as our equivalency and our scholarships. So I, I pretty much had a really good feeling of how we did things and got to see behind the scenes what he had done and, and got to make a lot of decisions. So I, I really knew our formula for what we were doing to be successful, but it is different when you're the one doing it. And the, the, the main difference for me is there was obligations outside of football, you know, of attending meetings or doing media and stuff that takes away from your time to prepare as a coordinator and as a position coach. So, um, you know, and, and things come up, you know, so what I, what I learned is to be very disciplined in my time. You know, I did a lot of work at night after my kids went to bed, get up super early, get work. So when I come into the office, I wasn't relying on that office time to watch film as a coordinator. You could come in, watch film in the morning or game plan. I really got that done where if I had time and I was free, I was getting to watch extra film but I wasn't counting on it because inevitably some a player is going to need to talk to you or something's going to come up or something's going on across campus or the AD needs you to do something you know you're, you're dealing with those you're putting out fires you're dealing with things you're trying to stay ahead you're coaching your culture you know you're, you're talking to the defensive coaches about game plan specials you, there's just a lot of stuff that can to, to monopolize your time and so I think a lot of coaches that are still coordinators if they don't get that done ahead of time, then they're shortchanging their coordinator duty because they're they're not as prepared as they used to be. So I wanted to be just as prepared. So really uh, trying to take the approach of being very disciplined with my time so that, you know, the rest of my day was freed up to, to do the head coaching duties. That, and that's great. I, I was going to ask you that. So the balance of being the head coach and being the OC and, and how you deal with that and you just kind of boom, point blank, that's it. Um, yeah, so, I, was the, I was the head coach during the day and I was the OC the rest of the time, you know. Yeah, and, and that's what's always – that's what's so crazy to me. So just to kind of pick your brain a little bit more about being a head coach at that level, talk about recruiting. Like, obviously, programs have recruiting coordinators and so on and so forth that will go out and start recruiting players in areas or cover different, you know, zones or districts or whatever. Um, what's your role in that as a head coach as far as, like, game planning or mapping out the recruiting trail, this is where we're going, this is what we're looking for, and then how you start making those decisions of who's a scholarship, maybe who's a preferred walk-on, things like that. Yeah, it's a little different at the Division II level because you're working with partial scholarships. So it's really kind of a money ball approach. You're trying to spread those out and make sure you get enough depth um, at the positions you need. And, and a lot of times you're recruiting a whole offense and defense every year. We're at the Division One. It's a little more sp- – 
position specific but with that said you still have needs and sometimes those needs are going to be immediate where you're reaching out to the junior college ranks or looking for a transfer and and sometimes it's you're looking we're going to graduate some kids we need some young kids so I think balancing we need young kids versus kids at that spot that can play right away program kids that you're going to develop versus more maybe a kid that you think's more talented that you're going to have to spend more money on to get um, there's a lot that goes into it a lot probably more at the division two level than than any any level because it's not apples to oranges it's partials versus fulls you know and and those kind of things so a lot of things but you gotta you gotta have great coaches you gotta have coaches that get out and, and really recruit hard because your coaches are the ones who are going to recruit at that level and then you've got to have a plan for you know your your program kids your your other kids your high school kids and then your transfers Awesome. And, and, and looking at that process, when do you start it? I mean, obviously I know what's going on during season somewhat, but when the season ends, how much of a break is it from season ends to, okay, we're, we're on the hardcore rec recruiting trail. Yeah. It, uh, you just start right away. Right. You've been recruiting during the season. We have recruiting meetings and, and you've already recruited and, and it just, it just now the season's over. So you have more time. So that's when you get out on the road, you know, and you're trying to, to visit coaches and then you're doing your, 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 campus visits or your home visits and scheduling the kids to come back to your campus to visit so it never really stops it's kind of in college recruiting is kind of like shaving you either do it every day or you wind up looking like a bum um, so you know it's a it's a year-round process and at the division three level it truly is at least we have some sign-in days where at least at our level it shifts gears you know, and there it never really stops. It's all just all young. At least we, we kind of move from a recruiting seniors to a recruiting juniors to camps to identifying to evaluating to recruiting. You know, there's different steps, but it never stops. It's just what phase you're in. Um, and, and, and that's, what's great. And I think, you know, obviously the recruiting, the mentality, what you guys are looking for, and especially your style of offense, which I love. And, and I'm going to jump back into some statistical things. Now we touched upon this a little bit earlier in our conversation, but just to kind of break it down more for the audience to hear. So what I did was I went from 2015 to 2019, and I looked at two more different statistical categories for you, but they tie in with each other and that's fourth down conversion rates and time of possession. And what I noticed was in the Lone Star Conference, you were one or two pretty much all those years, more one than two. But in Division Two, in these areas, you were ranking number two, number three, number five, number seven in different years in these categories. So we'll start with fourth down conversions. In 2015, you were 63%. You attempted 36 fourth downs. Uh, 2016, 27 fourth downs, you converted 66% of them. Um, 2017, you had 26 fourth downs you went for. You converted 57% of them. 2018, 22, 63%. And then 2019, your best, you went for 32 times and you converted 71.88% uh, of the time. So um, talk to me about that. I'm going to kind of talk about the, the fourth down conversions first. Is there, is there a magic number for you? Like if it's like fourth and three or below, are you kind of like, we're going for it. And, and is that mentality true all over the field? Yeah, I would say anytime it's fourth and two or below anywhere on the field, we're going to at least consider it. You know what I mean? Anywhere. Um, because of the nature of what we do, having schemes where we can account for everyone. Not We're not having to bring in two tight ends, an extra fullback, and run some play that we only practice once. We can run our base stuff. We've run thousands of times. So we feel very um, – like the odds are in our favor. The deck is, deck is stacked in our hand in those situations. Now, that doesn't mean every fourth and two we go for it. The situation of the game, we may feel like, doesn't dictate that we need it. And there's some analytics that go into field positions, and some of those are really weird, and it's hard to trust those. But also there's some, there's some how is the game going? How is it flowing? How is our defense playing? You know, those kind of things. A lot could go into it, and it's it's a little different game by game and year to year, but we're typically going to go for it a lot more than people do, and you read those numbers. You know, there's teams that go for it five, six times a whole year, and you were talking 26, 27 times, and, and then we're, we're good at converting it because most of the time when we are going for it, it's fourth and three or under, and and we there's times in third down where it's third nine, and we're going to play to get into a makeable fourth down because we've already decided we're going for it. You know, with that said, if we don't gain a yard on third nine, 
we'll probably punt the ball on fourth and nine. But we're, we're not calling a play, taking us out of our comfort zone and trying to get all nine or ten yards when we could call a play when we feel good about getting five or six and getting into nine, and then make it. So uh, that four-down mentality is, is part of what we do. And our kids know it. Our defense knows it. And, and, and they, you know, it's a little shaky at first. Their new D.C. is a little worried. But after you make a few of those and they see you go in those long drives, they start realizing. And then pretty soon they're like, go for it, coach. You know, because they don't want to go back on the field if they don't have to. And they, you know, so it's just a mentality. It's a different way of playing the game. And, um, but, you know, if you look at the science and the analytics behind it, it makes sense. And then there's the mentality piece too. And, and that's part of it as well. And I feel like the mentality piece is the biggest piece, right? Because, you know, you try to train your team to be mentally tough and you're playing in an offense that's a downhill system, you know, pounding, pounding. That's, that's the mentality. And I'm sure we, I mean, we didn't talk about cadence or anything, but I'm sure your cadence counts are different all the time too. And when defenses are kind of leading forward and, and really wanting to uh, jump the gun on those fourth downs, sometimes you can just get a team and draw them off sides on that. So um, I, I think it's a yeah. great mentality and it's tough to plan against going against teams like that. It's tough. It's really yeah, tough. Because we'll do that because people know we go for it so much. If it's under fourth and four, we're definitely not just running the punt team on. Because we're going to go out there and send someone in motion and try to draw you off sides. And it's effective because teams know that we go for it. You know, if it was something they're like, ah, they're drawing us off sides. They don't know. You know what I mean? So, but it's gotten to the point if it's our players come off the field a little disappointed. If it's fourth and four or under, especially if we're not backed up, if we're past about the 35 and we don't go for it, you know, sometimes they're like, coach, you could just see it in their eyes. But, you know, situationally, sometimes it's different, you know, and, and there's those preets to it. But our kids expect it. They know we're, you know, it's fourth and five or less. We're not going to run the punt team on the field. We're going to line up. And sometimes we line up to draw teams off sides. And, and then we just see that we have something. You know what I mean? It's like fourth and five. We weren't even intending to go for it. We're like, run the quick pitch. We got them outflanked. Go. And we just call it and get it. So our kids are comfortable in that situation. That's awesome. And then to read the other side of it. So obviously your fourth down conversions, but then time of possession. Again, I'll read from 2015 to 2019. Uh, 2015, 33 minutes a game. Uh, 2016, 34 minutes. 2017, 36 minutes. 2018, 32 minutes. Uh, 2019, 35 minutes. Um, how much is there a magic number you have as far as time of possession goes? Like, do you want to see your offense hold on to the ball for a certain amount of time in the game? Um, there are some times when it's a big stat for us that week. There's some weeks where we say we want to have the ball for 40 minutes. And those are the games where we're usually uh, looking at going forward a lot of fourth down, trying to have long drives. You know, there's something or other we need to shorten the game or play that style. Um, the rest of the time, it's not really something we talk about. It usually just kind of works itself out. We're a no-huddle team. Um, we have the ability to milk the whole clock and, and shorten the game or go really fast or just go at our normal tempo. Um, so it's kind of a week to week thing, but I think the fact that you're running the ball and you're running a lot of plays and you're controlling the clock just by the nature, you're always going to be good at time of possession, but there's times where we really emphasize that because it's very important to trying to win the game that week. And we always want to give our kids the best opportunity to win, whatever that may be, however style we need to adjust and whatever we do, we want to get the offense, defense, and our special teams have a cohesive plan, an overarching plan, not just the offense is doing their thing. The defense is doing that thing. That's, that's, that's when you don't win a lot of games. You know what I mean? Uh, um, or you don't reach your potential. You reach your potential when everybody's got the same idea and what their role is this game to win us the game based on your opponent. Yeah. And, and speaking of your opponents, right. I mean, being the style of offense that you are, do you sometimes go into a game, maybe not knowing exactly what you're going to see defensively? Cause I know as a high school coach, sometimes, you know, I go see a double tight, double wing team and offensively, I'm like, well, I'm not really sure what they're going to throw at us because I know defensively they're going to play this a lot different than say two by two. Yeah. Um, do you see that a lot at your level? Typically in, in, throughout my career you're in conference games you have a better idea and and when I was in the Lone Star we were in it for so long we had a really good idea um, and those are the teams we would typically game plan a lot more a lot more formations a lot more different things um, you know if we had a new coordinator coming in a new head coach who wouldn't our out of conference games it was a crapshoot I mean a team could be an Okie and we're going to come out and 
four three. They could be a four two five team. We're going to get bear Mike. We don't know. So we do a lot of pod drills where we just rep our a one play for five minutes for every look, and then we feel like that play's ready for that game. And then we'll work a midline pod and a veer pod and a belly pod and a counter pod and a zone option pod, and we just rep it against everything. And and so we spend a lot more time in those weeks just worry about our base plays and our techniques and us. Um, just so that we can run our base offense against whatever they throw. Um, and, and then we go from there. Um, whereas, you know, when we know or have a better idea, or even within our conference, we heard a team with this, we know they're going to line up, but they're probably going to make this adjustment. We can anticipate. So we're able to game plan them a little bit more. And, and then we've had through the years, we had some great defensive coordinators that done a heck of a job against us and really made us um, work because they, they spend time in the spring defending us. They spend time in the fall. They don't just try to get ready for us in a week. You know, they spend more time on us and this is what they say than anyone else. Even even if there's some high powered offenses, they just, they're more conventional. They're spread, they're RPO, whatever everyone else we're different. So they've learned to spend extra time on us. Um, so it's made it tougher in our conference than we've been really good out of conference because um, people aren't as familiar with us, even though we keep it a lot simpler, they're not familiar with us and we're really good at what we do. Yeah. And that's awesome. And then obviously speaking of being really good at what you do offensively, I then started to kind of dig into some of your running back numbers. Cause when I'm seeing these efficiencies of, you know, best or top two or top three rushing attacks in the country at the division two level, I wanted to look at some of your backs and what I noticed in the top 10 rushing statistics for Eastern New Mexico, you have five out of 10 of those positions or 10 of those spots with guys that are on your team. One guy is on there three times and we'll talk right. about that, but you know, you had Paul Terry in 2019 ran for almost 1,900 yards, 1,888. Mm -hmm. um, Elon Spite, if I say that right, That's uh, in 20, 2014, he ran for just over 1,600 yards. And then Kamal Cass ranks third, fifth, and seventh from 2015, 2016, 2017. He ran for fifth, uh, 1,514 yards, you know, just you know, 1,448 yards and just under 1,200 yards in 2016. I mean, talk about those dynamic backs in your offense and how um, maybe it made you be able to be a little bit more balanced having backs like that. Yeah, and all three of those guys are very unique. Um, they were all playing our B-backer or fullback spot. None of them started as that. They all started as slots. So what makes us a little different is at that spot, we play our very most talented running back, our best guy that with the ball that's tough enough to take the punishment and run between the tackles. Because sometimes you have a really talented slot that's just not going to run in between the tackles. He's going to dance. It's just not his game. So our best guy that's tough enough to do it. So Kamal was a 100-beater champ. Uh, a lot of times he was the fastest guy on the field. And, and, uh, and Paul wasn't as fast, but great vision. He actually saw the holes good, uh, strong lower body, made a lot of people miss. Very just a hard guy to tackle. And Elon was incredibly strong and hit the holes really hard, you know, and, and they were all three different type players. Um, but we just want a good, talented person at that spot because they're going to get the most carries, you know. And so you don't you don't want just a big 250-pound fullback that, you know, that's not the guy that's going to be explosive or strike fear. Now, we've had some big fullbacks, and there's a place for them. But, but our philosophy is to put our best running back there. That's our tailback. And those guys were all tremendous kids. They very missed very few games. Um, even with all those carries, like Kamal was the leading rusher in our school's career for those three. I think he missed two games. Uh, Paul never missed a game and Elon never missed a game. So durability is the best ability. And they always came to practice. They worked because um, you got to be blue collar because it's a blue collar spot. You know, a lot of those yards come between the tackles, you know, um, so they got to be tough. Yeah, and it was just crazy to see that. And, you know, obviously your offense and just how dynamic it is to just keep pumping back after back, whether, you know, they have a lot of talent or not, but it's great to have a system, like you said, in which you're putting your toughest, most, you know, athletic slash toughest guy in that spot, and they're running between the tackles. So they're getting hit by big D linemen. They get hit by linebackers. So it's not an easy spot. So, and you said having – Yeah, and they get, they get tackled a lot when they don't get the ball. I mean, if they get 25 carries, they may get tackled 15 more times in the game where we pulled it and the – the DN tackled them, they canceled them and did their job. So, it, you know, we, we always like to have two guys um, that play. We usually like to have a guy that's getting a series each half to take a few punishments, but still, they're still going to get those 25, 40 uh, contacts a game. Plus then they got to go block. So yeah, it's, but that's that toughness that it takes to play in this, this system. 
Yeah. And, and it's just, I mean, I've seen it, you know, I played in it, I've seen it and yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about when you're saying those guys, you know, they're carrying out their fakes. That's part of their job too. Like your quarterback is, mm -hmm. and sometimes your quarterback might take a whack or two if he's carrying out the fake and the guy's trained to hit him and hit the quarterback if he's carrying the fake. I mean, that's how I used to teach as a coordinator too. Um, Leaving Eastern New Mexico, I mean, this is as of like a week ago. I mean, when, right. when we kind of chatted, you know, one week you were there and then the next, you know, we, we talked and, you know, you took a new job. I mean, talk about leaving a spot like that where, you know, for the last all intents and purposes, almost a decade, you've really kind of been a part of as a coordinator, but then as a head coach, have taken that program to all different sorts of levels sure. um, and taking a new job. Yeah, I think uh, it goes back to my roots. My father was a high school coach. I kind of started as a high school coach. And some of the most fun I ever had coaching was at the high school level. I think it's a unique situation where you can really impact young people and, and, and give them a lot of direction. And, and, and we kind of miss that. And I think the COVID um, gave some perspective for me. And, and I got to spend a lot of time with my family that I hadn't got to spend. And, and we, were in a, we were in a state where things were shut down. You know, I mean, there was, there was no eating out. There was nothing. My kids wanted spring break and they, they never came back. So, um, you know, I feel like, uh, wanted to get, make up for some lost time for them, get them, um, in a, in a, maybe a different place where there was a little more opportunities, um, for them to do things. And then when I had time, cause, cause the college and, and, and high school job, you're, you're going to be just as busy, but you're not on the road recruiting in high school. So you're going to get to see them play and, and then maybe more things to do when uh when we did have free time and down at brownsville it's 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 great great weather great climate uh that the school i'm at brownsville veteran memorial phenomenally academic school great system for my kids to go um as athletic coordinator great athletic program uh teams go to the state almost every year and coaches have been here it's a, it's a relatively new school i think it's 10 or 11 years old half the the coaches have been here since it started so when you're looking at a place and coaches don't leave you know, that's a pretty good sign. And then I got to go through the process and really got to, to meet the administration and, and, and really got really, really impressed. And we just felt like it was the right time and this was the right place. And, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm my third day on the job here and it's been fast and furious, but I've already, already met a lot of great people, met a lot of great kids and just, just really excited about this move. Yeah, third day on the job doing a killer podcast right now. I mean, you are a man of many traits. I love it. Um, and then speaking of that job, um, you know, I just kind of looked up a quick little newspaper article. I actually saw you uh, post it on Twitter. So I just kind of read through it and I pulled out a quote. You know, this was, you know, this was a pretty big search. There were over 30 candidates for this job um, and, and you went for it. And just to kind of read a quote, you know, what they were looking for and what they saw in you, you know, you had been an athletic director and head coach at the high school level, junior college level, and I NAIA level and NCAA level. You had a wide range of experience as a head coach at all levels. So you checked off all the boxes as far as being an effective leader. I mean, how does that make you feel when you, when you hear that they looked at you amongst so many different people and just felt like, Hey, this is the right guy for the job leading us forward. Yeah, it's good. You know, you feel like you have that vote of confidence and then when you get here and you're welcomed and, and people are excited, that helps. And anytime you're taking over a new job, you have an opportunity there. You get one chance for like a little bit of a spark, a little bit of a change. Um, change always affords that. And and sometimes people take advantage of it. Sometimes they don't. So you always want to try to do that. And so we've got a little momentum with that going on. And, and luckily I'm inheriting a situation that where the program's been really good and, and, and been successful. So it's not a rebuilding type of thing that had a little bit down year last year but everything was a little bit different with COVID you know what I mean and, and unique so um, we want to get back to that level and try to take the next step and 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 try to advance this program as much as we can the football and the athletic program and 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 find what our ceiling is and then find a way to break through that ceiling you know and and and, and but but above all it's about giving the kids the best opportunity put them in a chance to be successful give them opportunity to be successful if they do that they're going to win some games they're going to be happy they're going to have a good experience and use football as an avenue to coach life you know yeah how uh have you met your players yet? are we like zoom with them at all or anything like that yeah or? yeah no we were able to meet them in person okay. uh, most of them were, were in a hybrid model and then we've already had some zooms and, and and there's been a few workouts already so um you know learning faces and names and getting to meet people and staff and and so yeah we're hit the ball rolling and and we're at it
That's awesome. That's great. Um, just two questions that I typically ask my coaches at the end before we jump into our two minute drill here, but uh, what's your advice to young coaches out there? I mean, coaches that are looking to, to, like you said early on, like those young coaches that you look for that inspire to be coordinators and head coaches. I mean, what's your advice to those coaches out there that are looking to grow, um, you know, in, in the world of football as they move up? Yeah, I think you've got to find out who you are as a coach. Don't try to be someone else. Look a lot less to, to maybe the guys you see on TV um, because you see what they want you to see. You know, you don't really know what's going on day to day behind the scenes and, and find mentors, older coaches that you're going to get to work with and learn from them um, because they're, they're going to be able to pass on a lot of valuable information. Um, you know, I think, you, you know, it's, it's easy to look at a Nick Saban or a Dabo Sweeney, and, but you're just not going to have the access to those people that you are going to have, the people that you're working with, you know, that, that, that old coach or, you know, and it doesn't even have to be your sport. It could be another person on your campus that's at tremendous success. Pick those people's brain, learn from them, figure out why they've been successful because those are the people you're going to have access to and then figure out what what's your philosophy you know write it down figure out what you want to be because if you're just trying to emulate someone else it's never going to be authentic and there's a lot of ways to get it done you know there's there's players coaches and and, and structured coaches and high energy coaches and stoic coaches you know the important thing is be who you are because if you're authentic, the players will relate to it and then you can build a relationship and then those relationships are what advance you. So figure out who you are, be authentic and, and find good mentors. Yeah, I, I, it's great advice, coach. I love it. And, and that seems to be a big consensus amongst coaches I've had on here, just being yourself. I think, it's, I think it's impossible, like you said, when you try to emulate someone that you see on TV or try to emulate someone that maybe you used to coach under, when your style or approach or just personality is different at baseline. So Absolutely. being who you are, I think, is just it, it's key to your success. It's the only way that you're really going to build that program is being who you are all the time and not trying to be something that you're not for sure. Yeah, I think that's um, big. And, and the last thing I'll ask you is just sacrifice. I mean, we talked on Sunday, you drove 13 hours. I mean, in these jobs and moving around, I mean, have you moved around a lot, things like that? And I, I did for a while. Yeah. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be in Portales for about nine or 10 years there at my last stop. So it's been a while, but you know, this, this was an instance where they were about to go on spring break. So I know that when you take these jobs the first week, you're getting um, especially being an athletic coordinator. A lot of people are going to need you. A lot of loose ends got to get tied up. So I wanted to get here this first week, you know, so I jumped on a car and came um, so we could work out those kinks, get, get settled, get rolling so that when we come back after spring break, we really get to working with the team and the athletic program. So I think it was important, but those are the kind of sacrifices and decisions you have to make. But I think it's important as a coach, you've got to balance like when you're looking at jobs is, you, sometimes you move for career opportunities and sometimes you move for quality of life and, and for your family, you know, and you've got to balance those things. It can't always be career, 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 you know, sometimes it's got to be family and sometimes career and sometimes it's something that works for both. And those are the things you got to weigh in and, and you just got to have perspective um, because it's not just you, it's your family too. You know, they're not just along for the ride. And, and, I think if you get too just career oriented or goal oriented, it can kind of change who you are as a coach and then you're not going to relate. And, and, and it's all about making a step in this. And, and, and I think it's great to have high aspirations and set goals, but you know, there, this game, this, this game's about relationships and really what we can do for the student athletes, the kids we serve. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta keep those things in perspective. And, and if you're keeping your life and your values in perspective and you're, and you're doing that by your family, that's going to relate to the kids as well. Awesome. I love it. And you're so right. You're so right. I mean, I can't think of how many times I brought practice home with me, you know, and as I got better we at all coaching, do it. yeah, you know, yeah. I, had to learn how to be better at it to like yeah. say hello to my wife and see how her day was and to see my kids. And yeah, you know, you, you have to learn how to, you have to learn how to balance that boat. You're absolutely right. Uh, so we're going to jump into our last segment of the podcast called okay. the two minute drill. And basically I just fire some rapid fire questions at you about the sport and you know, whether it's coaching or just in general, and you kind of give brief one word, two word answers. Okay. Uh, if you, if you are, if you do say something that I, that I'm interested in hearing more about, I may throw a challenge flag and allow you to explain and vice versa. If you want to explain something a little bit okay. more, you most certainly can too. So it's a fun segment. My coaches love it. Uh, we get the timer and here we go. Fourth and goal from the three. What are you running? Belly. Belly. I knew it. I knew you were going to say belly. I knew it. Um, toughest defensive opponent that you faced at any place that you've been at? 
Oh, uh, Midwestern State was really tough for us for a couple of years. They had a guy named Mark, Marquis Christian uh, that's still playing in the NFL, fifth-round draft pick running the free safety position, and he was really good. And Coach Renner, Coach Maskell had a good idea of how to defend us. They did a good job. Wow, wow. Um, which current NFL quarterback, if you could have in your system of offense right now, would you want to have? Oh, probably Lamar Jackson. That's what I figured. I, yeah. I figured you were going to say that, or like a Russell Wilson, someone who was a yeah. person throwing the ball. Yeah, I can throw the ball and run it. Yeah. Um, one word to describe yourself on the sideline during a game. Intense. <laughs> what would your player say? Uh, might call me a wild man. But no, <laughs> no I, th I think focused and intense. Awesome. Awesome. Um, what would you say of all the offenses you've coached, which offense do you feel like was the most efficient? Not necessarily maybe the best, but just the most efficient. Oh, offense. our last year at Valencia High School, we went into the semifinal game. I think we'd punted one time all year. Um, and, and not because we were just going for it, just because we were really efficient. We averaged 50-something points a game. We scored just about every time we had the ball. That was, a, you know, a great – and it's relative. You know, it's, that was the high school, and we've had some great ones at college, which it's a little harder to do something like that at college. But just overall, that was about as efficient as you can be. That's awesome. Um, what would you say is the one thing that's changed about you most as a play caller? Uh, probably a little bit more situational awareness. Um, you know, maybe younger, just go, 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 you know, attack, attack, attack. You know, now there's times when you don't need to attack, you need to score slower, you know what I mean? Yeah, or, yeah. or protect your defense. And, and so probably just understanding the whole perspective of, of not just being a, aggressive on offense. And the last question I ask you is a little different um, off topic here is uh, will Tom Brady win his eighth Super Bowl before he retires? I, I would never doubt that guy for anything <laughs> now. I mean, it's just amazing. He's probably, uh, he's probably the best football player to ever play and, and probably one of the greatest athletes to ever play what he's accomplished. So I wouldn't doubt anything. They got, a, they got a lot of weapons and they might be better next year if they're still hungry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, being a Massachusetts guy, I mean, th there was nothing more I missed this year watching a Patriots game than seeing him. Oh, I you know, imagine it was, that was hard. Yeah. It was so good. And I was his biggest cheerleader in the playoffs too, like yeah. just rooting for him. So yeah. it was cool. But coach, you survived the two minute drill. Awesome. Um, I want to thank you for coming on. I know you've had a crazy busy schedule and I appreciate you even taking a call with me driving, you know, 13 miles. One, actually one question I do want to ask you is New Mexico. Do you ever been to the four corners before? Absolutely. How is it there? I stage. teach about it every year in school. It's and just a spot where the four corners meet and you can stand in all four. Nothing really fancy. That's but it? Oh, it, is, it, it is a pretty, pretty part of the world, though. I mean, it's pretty, pretty country up there. But, I mean, you got – you go, you go up there and it's like a piece of concrete and you see the four corners attached. So, Oh my God. That's so not, disappointing. It's not, it's not a, a earth shattering event. No. But okay. I've been <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. I teach that every year in school and I always tell yep. the kids about it. And I was like, I, one day I want to go there. And yeah. now that I hear that, I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I want to thank you for coming on. Sure. Like I it said, busy time. schedule, tremendous coach you are. And, and I can't wait for my young listeners, my high school coaches here to, to really listen. Um, and huge fan. I'll be keeping an eye on you guys and definitely be looking you up online and, and seeing how you're doing. So I appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. We'll talk All right. So from beyond, uh, beyond podcast, I'm your host, Anthony Petrullis. Uh, Till next time. Beyond X's and O's. X's and O's. X's and O's.